episode 93 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to fully imagine what the world would be like if one thing was fundamentally changed. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about an interesting, hypothetical situation. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like Unlock Heroic Adventures and Funkoverse. Then, we talk about what the world and the board game industry would look like if everyone played board games. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word common. And now, here are your hosts, Ambi and Crystal. One quick announcement before we hop into the main episode. Here in just a few weeks, PAX Unplugged is happening, and I'm going to be there. Ambi, unfortunately, will not, <laughs> um, but that's completely understandable. But we are going to be having a meetup at PAX Unplugged. As of the, us recording this episode, the details of that meetup have not quite been ironed out yet. So I don't have specific dates or times or places for you yet. But please go to our Facebook, our Twitter, our Board Game Geek Guild, all of the usual places. And uh, by the time this episode releases, I believe all of those details will have been completely ironed out. And we would love to see you. If you are going to be at PAX Plugged, come join our meetup. Um, we're doing it kind of in tandem with moderator Chris from Flip the Table, who you heard on one of our recent episodes as our guest co-host, and Flip Flory from Flip Flory's Super Saturday board game serial. So it's going to be a Flipster Blitzketeer mashup meetup, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So yes, please come join us for that. Go find the details on our social media pages, or if all else fails and you don't do any social media, shoot us an email, boardgameblitz at gmail.com. We'd be happy to share the details with you. Recently, I was able to play a game. Hooray! Really exciting. I'm, that's honestly, like, that's a task when you have two infants to yes. take care of. Oh, yeah, and I'm back. Hi. Oh, yeah, Andy's back. I guess that could have been an announcement, but it's kind of obvious. So we weren't, we weren't sure how long your quote-unquote maternity leave was going to be, but you said you were ready to come back. And I, while I loved my episodes with Chris and Paula, respectively, I am super happy that you are back because, you know, it's that warm, fuzzy, familiar <laughs> feeling. And I'm just super excited that you're back. Yeah, I'm excited too. So anyway, I got to play Unlock Heroic Adventures, which is an escape room style game. We've t mentioned it before. The Unlock series and the Exit series are both escape room type games. Is this one of those ones where the three are in a single box? Yeah, yeah. Okay. so Unlock Heroic Adventures has all three in one box. It has a video game themed one called Insert Coin Here. There's a Sherlock Adventures one and then an Alice in Wonderland one. I forget the names of all of them, but... That's fine. But we played all three of them. We actually got to play them in between like feeding the twins. And for the Sherlock one, we actually had to pause and wait, uh, like feed them and then resume it later. Because we ran out of time. <laughs> but but that's what's nice about the Unlock games, or any of these games really, is you can pause the timer yeah. and go do something else and come back to it. Yeah. So the way that Unlock games work is there's a deck of cards and then an app that has a timer and like the, the cards have app integration, like there's puzzles in the app too. And then the cards have numbers on them and you're finding new numbers by putting cards together. And then you get the new numbers, and that's, like, how you advance the story. Actually, when we paused it, I don't know if it's my phone or the app, but, like, after a while, it, it just 
when I tried to go back to it, it was gone. Like it oh, closed. No. So it didn't save the progress. But I still like remembered where we were going and what had happened. So I was able to like redo it, but we didn't get a final actual score. But that's okay because I normally don't care about the score anyway. I just like doing it. Sometimes the scores seem pretty bogus too. Like <laughs> yeah. we'll do really good and we'll still get a low score. And I'm like, this <laughs> yeah. doesn't feel right. Yeah. So anyways, I mentioned before that I like Exit more than Unlock. But I think recently, this is the newest of the unlocks that I've played. I think it's the newest one that's out. And the unlocks, I think, have been getting better and better. And the exits have been getting more stale for me. So this one, I really liked the the stories. The theming was really good and it was really creative. And the cards had interesting artwork clues on them. I'm going to try to do this with no spoilers. And then also with the app integration, there was some augmented reality. So you could like look like you use your phone on the cards and it did stuff which was okay really that's neat. cool yeah that's, and that's unique i haven't seen that in any of the escape room games thus far yeah so i thought that was really neat and what i don't like about unlock is that there's hidden numbers in the cards so you have to like look really close to find a really small hidden number and then you're supposed to find that card i think in the later ones there's fewer of those than there were at the beginning like the first couple had a lot of them and they were hard to find and now the app also has an auto hint for hidden numbers that i just have it on so after a while it just says oh like there's a hidden number on this card just in case you haven't found it yet so if you have that turned on then that helps with not being able to find the hidden numbers if you yeah i always play with that turned on too yeah Yeah, so we play with that turned on and then some of the Clues also gave like stylized numbers after you solve it, which were kind of hard to see. And sometimes I think it's some number, but it's a different number and it, it's kind of hard to tell. But then you just try both numbers and it works out eventually. So those are what I don't like about Unlock. But otherwise, it, all of all three of these were really fun, which is rare, I think, because normally in the three sets, I like one a lot better and then the other one's not as much. But in this one, all three were great. And they all come in one box, so that's cool. <laughs> Do you happen to know offhand what it, what the box of three retails for? Because I know that the the single boxes were typically somewhere in the vicinity of like ten to fifteen dollars. Yeah, it looks like regular price is thirty dollars. Oh wow! So it's a it's a better deal yeah. than the individual ones have yes. been generally. But then you you would have to get all three of them. If so, if you didn't want to get all three of them, then it's not as good but but i get them all anyway so yeah it looks like on cool stuff most of the older unlock games that are in individual boxes Mm -hmm. are in the like 13 Mm. to 1350 range yeah so yeah it sounds like if if you like Mm. the unlock games and want a bunch of them that this is a good deal yeah and i liked all of them so that's awesome now you're making me want to try them and i've (laughs) been kind of similarly to you i've been a little cooler on Mm. unlock as compared to exit but I know that a lot of new escape room games just came out at Essen, like not just in those series, but like in newer series from other publishers. And Mm -hmm. I will admit this is one of the trends in board games that I am not tired of and I want to see more. I want to play all of them. I've like added them all on my want to play list on BGG. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm actually hoping that a few or a bunch of them will be in the library um, Mm -hmm. at At conventions. Yeah, conventions, because that way, because obviously, like, buying all of them seems like a lot, but Mm -hmm. if I can play them in places where it makes sense to, I want to. So that was Unlock Heroic Adventures. Yep. Well, I have probably mentioned this once or twice since Gen Con, but I have not given it a formal review yet, so I wanted to talk about Funkoverse. Funkoverse is a game from 
Funko, who has merged with the previous board game publisher Forest Prusan. It is designed by Prospero Hall. And if you aren't aware, Prospero Hall isn't a person. It is a group of designers and developers that create games together. And honestly, I have to say, Prospero Hall, the entity, is one of my favorite designers right now because they're coming up with fun, quirky stuff that I tend to really like. Uh, published just in 2019 here. It actually released formally, I think at this point now, when this episode releases, it will have been about a month and a half ago. And you can kind of get it anywhere. I think it's in mass market stores, it's online, it's all over the place. So Funkoverse takes the Funko Pops that everybody knows and loves, those little plastic figurines with the big heads, shrinks them down a little bit and puts them into a board game. It is kind of a skirmish style dudes on a map style game, but simplified and not dumbed down, but made a little bit more accessible than a lot of games that are in this style. So each player controls a team of people and currently available, there are DC Comics heroes, there are Harry Potter characters, there are Golden Girls, there's Rick and Morty, but they have more coming and they have teased that Back to the Future is one of their upcoming sets, which I got very excited about. So in Funkoverse, there are four different game modes that you can play. There is a capture the flag style game. There is an area control style game. There is a leaders scenario where you are attacking each other's leaders. And there is a territory based game, which is kind of also area control, but a little bit different than the other one. One is control markers and one is an area of the board that you have to be physically present in. All of the characters have unique special abilities that are themed around who they are. So Rick and Morty have, like Rick has a portal gun and he can shoot portals and go through them to make it easier to travel around the map. Voldemort has a really powerful attack that he can use, which he gets to roll six dice, which is way more than most people ever roll in any attack. But the neatest part about this game is the action cooldown track. Each player has a cooldown track that goes from four to one. And whenever you use an item or an ability, based on the strength of that item or ability, a token of yours will go to the cooldown track. And you won't get that token back until the number of rounds has passed based on where it is on the board. So if you have to put it on the four, it'll take four rounds before you get that token back. So if you have an ability that uses a specific type of resource token, once you spend it, you can't use that ability until you have that resource again. So it makes it so when you do your most powerful things, you can't do them again right away. And it works the same way for items and even your characters. If your character gets knocked out, it goes to your cooldown track as well. So we can't just jump right back in the fight, which makes it a little bit more fair, so to speak. This game is what I would call a perfect next step game. It is lighter, I think, than most hobby gamers are probably looking for in a normal game. And it is heavier than most gateway games in certain aspects, but that's not to say that it's not approachable for a non-gamer. I think this is a really good way to, like let's say you have some people that you're kind of just introducing to gaming, you've started them off with some gateway games and you want to get them to a place where they can play something like Arcadia Quest. Like Arcadia Quest is a really fun game, 
But there's a lot of like nuance and specific rules and pieces and parts of that game that are hard to grasp right away. Mm-hmm. I think this game would be a really good way to kind of move people up and get them closer to that kind of game. And it is fun for gamers too. There's strategy involved and the cooldown track is really neat, but I think that this game shines best when you love the intellectual properties and that it is utilizing and when you're playing with someone who maybe doesn't want to play a heavier game. This was actually really perfect for me. On Halloween, I brought the Harry Potter set over to my friend's house. She was dressed as a Hufflepuff and we played the Harry Potter version. So she played as Harry and Hermione and I played as Voldemort and Bellatrix. Since she was dressed as a Hufflepuff, she couldn't be the bad guys, obviously. (laughs) And it was light enough that like we could get up and go answer the door for trick-or-treaters when they came by and then just sit back down and keep playing without having really broken the stream of action in any significant way. So it's great when you don't want to think too hard, but you want something that's a little bit crunchier than a super light filler game. I am really enjoying it and I'm looking forward to seeing what other intellectual properties they incorporate into this game. And I honestly think that this is one that would people would benefit from adding this to their collection for the purposes of having something lighter or having something that you could help get non-gamers kind of up to that next step of gaming. Um, And they sell sets that contain both two and four characters, and you can play the full game with any of the sets that are available. But if you have a set that only has two characters in it, then you kind of play with one main character and one like secondary character that doesn't have special abilities. I'm liking it a lot. I think it is worth checking out. And yeah, I was very, very happy to get this one at Gen Con. And I've been, I've now played with Rick and Morty, Golden Girls, and Harry Potter. I don't have the DC set, so I can't comment on it. But the uh, thematic abilities of all of these characters are pretty spot on. I mean, the Golden Girls come, the item that comes with the Golden Girls is cheesecake. And that's just delightful. (laughs) So uh, Funkoverse gets a big thumbs up from me. I'm really enjoying it. Can you combine the characters together? Yes, you can play any characters against any other characters. So uh, at one point, my friend and I played the Golden Girls versus Rick and Morty, (laughs) which like that's something that you would never even think to do. But you can like we played the teams that go together with each other and they usually have supporting abilities where like Rick and Morty go really well together. But you don't have to play as Rick and Morty. You could put Rick and a golden girl versus Morty (laughs) and a golden girl. Like you can mix and match them however you want. And I actually think that there might be some really interesting stuff that would come about from finding different characters from like opposing sets whose abilities complement each other really well. Mm -hmm. And you might find that some of them are more overpowered or less powered based on what they go with. But if you want to mix it up and have a really interesting game, it's easy to do that when you combine the sets. Okay. This could get really expensive. It's a collectible board game. (laughs) I know. And that's the thing. Like Funko Pops are already a big collectible thing. And these ones are just as like they're super high quality, Uh just like regular Funko Pops. I did talk to the people who developed this about like, could you put your actual Funko Pops into the game? And normal Funko Pops are larger than Mm. the figurines in the game. Not by a significant amount, but they are bigger. Um, And he said that. Really, like, if you wanted to develop a character card and, you know, rule sets 
or use existing rule sets with your regular Funko Pops. Like, there's nothing stopping you from doing that, obviously. Mm -hmm. And if you came up with some good ones and put them on BGG, I imagine other people would definitely <laughs> take and yeah. use them. Yeah, I could see that happening. That's cool. Like, the, the one, I have a bunch of Funko Pops, and I would love to see, I think Finn and Jake from Adventure Time would work really well in this game. So that's the one that's kind of on the top of my wish list. But honestly, like, there's so many Funko characters. <laughs> they own the rights to, like everything it seems <laughs> and I don't know if those rights extend to being able to put them into the board game on in all cases but I kind of hope so because I want more so so when Ambie told me that she was ready to come back <laughs> I threw a hypothetical question at her that I said I wanted to discuss in this week's episode we don't usually do these kind of like cerebral what if scenarios, but I asked, what would the world be like if everyone played board games? And I don't mean if everyone used to play board games when they were a kid, because I think for the most part, that tends to be true. But I mean, like, yeah. the things that people consume every day, like a lot of people watch TV or watch movies or play video games. What if board games were that pervasive as all of those other things and it was just normal for everybody to play board games what would the world be like and i'm really bad at answering these <laughs> <laughs> well but i think it's an interesting discussion yeah point for us to have so when i asked this what what ran through your head if anything well what ran through my head first was video games because you mentioned that like everyone plays video games now um which didn't used to be the case so, Not at all, in fact. Yeah, yeah, video games used to be pretty niche yeah. um, for a variety of reasons, including price point and availability mm -hmm. and the ways in which you could play video games. Yeah. And so I think that could be similar to board games. Although board games, th so the availability of board games, like because they're a physical thing, it might be more difficult to get them to everyone than video games. But like nowadays, people, like everyone's playing video games. They play it on their phone or... PC, mobile, the regular video game consoles. <laughs> but yeah, so there's tons of types of video games, all different types for everyone. Because some people like puzzle games, some people like... What other types of games are there? Like action, yeah, action games, games or racing. fighting games. Yeah, Rhythm so games. Oh, yeah, like... And what's interesting is I, I bet if you asked... Like if you asked somebody like my mom... Mm -hmm. you know, do you play video games? I yeah. think her answer would be no, because I think when people think of video games, a lot yeah. of people still kind of think of console gaming specifically yeah. or computer gaming. Mm -hmm. And my mom definitely plays games on her phone. I know yeah. she does. She plays every day. She plays yeah. things like, you know, Words with Friends mm -hmm. and other things like that. And Words with Friends is essentially Scrabble, <laughs> which is a board game. <laughs> so... Like, does, does my mom play board games every day? Kind of, yes. I don't know if she would say that, but, like, yeah. she does, technically. And I think there are a lot of people. I looked up some stats online, and uh, when I looked up the percentage of Americans who play video games, I found some kind of back... Like, I, I didn't find some solid stuff, but it seems somewhere in the vicinity of 65 to 70% of Americans, specifically, play video games on at least one type of device. And I would imagine that number sounds a little bit lower than I expected, but when I thought about it, I think the elderly and young children perhaps are probably 
not going to be playing <laughs> games either because they can't or, you know, they don't want to. So I think 70% is a pretty large number. And that does seem pretty accurate. Yeah. 50% of our household plays video games. Because <laughs> <laughs> your baby's not quite playing games yet. But yeah, also people saying that they don't play video games even when they do. I think that could happen with board games too. Because I know a lot of people would say they're not board gamers, but I've played board games with them. So like a lot of my coworkers, they say, oh, we don't play games. But then we would play games with them for like at lunch or for team building events or something like we had a big code names event where everyone was playing code names we had like a code names tournament type thing <laughs> so everyone at our work was playing board games even if they wouldn't consider themselves as board gamers well and i think a lot of people play board games casually and yeah. don't realize that like those what you and games. I think of <laughs> as the board game industry exists at all. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people who play board games don't even know that Board Game Geek exists yeah. as a website. They've just never thought to look at it. And I honestly, I used to be one of those people. Mm -hmm. When I started playing hobby games in 2007, Board Game Geek already existed. And I was playing like hardcore hobby games like Puerto Rico and things mm -hmm. like that that were right at the top of the lists and I had no idea that Board Game Geek existed because yeah. I didn't even think to go looking for it. Mm -hmm. I loved playing games. I was playing every week and I just didn't even know that there was this larger community. And on, obviously yeah. since 2007, the community has grown <laughs> significantly. Yeah. But like, it's funny because it seems like to us, those of us in the industry, that board games are a huge deal. But really, in the grand scheme of things, at least here in America, and obviously you and I are speaking from our experience here in the States, mm -hmm. um, I know things are different overseas, especially in countries like Germany, where board games are more culturally pervasive. But here, most people don't, most adults don't play board games regularly. Mm -hmm. It's more of like a casual thing or a party thing or a thing that they think of as, oh, I did that when I was a kid, but I don't anymore. Mm -hmm. But I think they're getting more mainstream than they used to be because I always expect people not to play board games. And then we just meet like when we meet people, they're like, oh, I love board games, too. And so it's like, oh, OK, cool. <laughs> so so like, I don't expect that. But there's more people that are playing them than I than I expected. That's true. Like, I've usually kind of diverted to that, you know, when people ask what I do for hobbies mm -hmm. and I say board games, I used to kind of have to be like, to do the traditional, no, not exactly yeah. Monopoly and Scrabble. And now when I give that type of answer, they kind of look at me strangely because they do know what hobby games are. They know that they exist, mm -hmm. even if they aren't consuming them regularly. Yeah. So I think we've definitely moved to a place where knowledge about board games is increasing. Yep. And the number of players playing them is obviously increasing too, but that hasn't gone up quite as much as far as I can tell. So what would be different if everyone were playing games? What in the industry, outside of the industry, what functional things about society <laughs> would be different if everyone was playing games. Um, so there would be a lot more board games. That's true. Yeah, like just the... And it's funny because we in the industry think there's so many, there's thousands releasing every year, but it would be even more if everyone yeah. was playing them. I guess manufacturing of board games would be a bigger industry. <laughs> 
Um, That's very true. And I think a lot of publishers have struggled because a lot of them want to be able to manufacture things, you know, here in the States if they are located in the States mm -hmm. and often have to get stuff manufactured overseas because the infrastructure just doesn't exist here in the States to get things manufactured at that yeah. large of a volume. Um, and I know that that's a bummer for people. A lot of people want, you know, if you live in America, you want things that were produced here in America in some instances, and that's not often easy to do. Mm -hmm. And maybe there would be a lot of variety of pricings of games too, because, or like print and play, a lot of those, there already are a good amount of print and play games, but maybe that would be more pervasive for people who can't afford like buying a whole board game, then they can do like a print and play or like a write and play. Yeah. Well, and especially like as devices like 3D printers become mm -hmm. more popular too. Like it's not even when, when you say print and play, I think it used to be literally just printed paper components, mm -hmm. but a lot of people own 3D printers now and could theoretically print their <laughs> own miniatures. Like they might be obviously not quite as detailed or fancy as the ones that you would get in a full production copy of a board game, mm -hmm. but it does like, if you wanted to print a chess set today, a lot oh, of people yeah. would just be able to do that. Or you can even like um, public libraries and universities mm -hmm. often have 3D printers that you can kind of rent out and use. So it feels like that kind of thing would definitely be more available too. Yeah. And they'd have board games at those places too. <laughs> Very true. I think that's a good point. I think there would be more physical locations where board games are sold or the playing of board games was encouraged yeah. in a more like friendly way. Because I think right now a lot of board gamers will go to a restaurant or a bar or a brewery or a coffee house to play games. But I imagine if everyone was playing games that there might be more dedicated spaces that lend themselves to those things. So instead of being crammed on a tiny table at Starbucks, there might be some larger tables to kind of facilitate that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Board game cafes and board game libraries. It would be really cool to have a board game library where you can check out board games for free. <laughs> that would be awesome. I mean, I know some regular libraries have started adding board games to their collections. And I think that's a really neat way to make the hobby more accessible yeah. to people who can't afford to purchase games on their own. Mm -hmm. Speaking of accessibility and price points, I think if more people played games and therefore print runs of games were inherently larger, mm -hmm. the cost of games could go down as well because yeah. you, I mean, with anything, when it, when it comes to manufacturing, generally, the more you make, the lower the cost is for each mm -hmm. individual item, therefore lower cost to produce, lower cost on the end for the consumer as well. So those $60 price point games that we've kind of, I think, gotten used to, like when I think of a standard board game price for like a large game, $60 is where my brain goes. Mm -hmm. I imagine that that might get closer to 50 or even $40 if they were able to be produced on a larger scale. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think if board games were more pervasive and everyone was playing them, I don't like I don't want to say it would help with world peace because that feels a little <laughs> bit too big, but I honestly think it would help reconnect people in ways that we're not currently connecting with people. I think the internet has made the world a much smaller place. Um, I kind of discussed that with Paula in our last episode a little bit, but I think we have lost the face-to-face -face connections 
um, to some degree. And it is really neat to be able to connect with people over the internet. And I value and treasure the connections I've made with people online. But getting to interact with people face to face, I think helps you understand them in a more fundamental way. And it helps bridge differences between people. So I think it, I mean, I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but I honestly think that people might be a little bit more caring and understanding toward other people if they were playing board games with them regularly. But that's part of why we play board games too, is to get away from internet and screen time, right? Is to get the face-to-face interactions. Yeah. Connecting with people in a physical space does have Mm -hmm. value. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the ways in which adults interact with people together, like when I became an adult, you know, it kind of... (laughs) You hit, you hit this point where you're like, how do I make friends? Yeah. You know, you either make friends at work mm-hmm. or Go where else? Out like to a bar or something, which right, I don't like, like that's doing. The thing. No, I'm the same way. When I was younger in my early 20s, that was fine. But a lot of adults don't necessarily enjoy drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a bar, while good for social interactions, if you aren't a drinker, can be pretty awkward. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like there aren't, you don't go hang out at a coffee shop to meet strangers. <laughs> like that doesn't, <laughs> I mean, I guess you could, but might be a little awkward. But a board game cafe totally is social lubricant yeah. in the best way. Like you can just walk up to a group of strangers at a board game cafe and say, oh, hey, you're playing Mark, you know, Voyages of Marco Polo. I love that game. Can I sit and join you? And I imagine in most cases, people will say yes. And you can't do that in a like coffee shop. You can't be like, oh, I love lattes as well. Can I, can I sit and have my latte? And some people might say yes, but it seems a little bit more weird. Yeah. So... I I think it would help people connect and maybe help forge some adult friendships in a less risky space than a bar, I guess. (laughs) Like, yeah, well, I've met a lot of my adult friends through board games at conventions or just looking for people who played board games that live near us. (laughs) So, yeah. Ditto. I would say the majority of my good friends at this point Mm -hmm. have been through board gaming. Yeah. And I think for somebody like me, that's important because while I really like a lot of my coworkers, I tend to not engage socially with my coworkers as much just because I find if I spend too much time with certain people, I, they're like the little things that bug you about people Mm -hmm. kind of grate on me more. I don't know if that makes sense, but like I already have to, be with my coworkers, you know, eight hour, 40 hours a week. And if I was hanging out with them socially outside of work, that might turn into too much. And that's not to say I've never become friends with my coworkers and hung out with them outside of work. I have a number of friends who did start as coworkers, but I've found that my friendships with them are often better once we're not working together anymore. I actually just on Facebook uh, recently, my 10 year friend anniversary with my friend Melanie came up and Melanie and I started as coworkers at Gameworks, if anybody's heard of that place, it's a video game arcade. I was working there during the recession 10 years ago, and that's where we met. But I think our friendship has been like even stronger since we stopped working together a number of years ago. Yeah, in a lot of my ex-coworkers, I played board games with the ones that were my friends. So nice. Back to board games, making friends. <laughs> so basically, the world would be 
a nicer, cooler, <laughs> more exciting place if everybody board played board games. board games are amazing. <laughs> they really are. And I, it's hard to convey that fact to people sometimes. I... You don't want to come across as the awkwardly too enthusiastic person, but like yeah. I genuinely think most people who don't play board games would love them in like maybe not to the level that we do, but like there are, there's a game for everybody. I yeah. still stand by this fact. There is a game for everybody. Yeah, there's so many different types of games. So so many. So yeah, that's it going to be it for this. I I would love to hear uh, our listeners' thoughts on this topic. Like, genuinely, I want to know what we missed, what you all think would be different about the world or better about the world if everybody was playing board games. So please head over to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or our Board Game Geek Guild. Find the tweet, post, or thread about this episode and give us your feedback. Let us know what you think because I really want to hear your all's thoughts. And if we get some really interesting comments, maybe we can even share those at the top of the next episode. Because I think that this is a topic that is pretty deep and there's definitely some nuance that we weren't able to get into in our short episode link. <laughs> For this week's etymology segment, we're going to look at the origins of the word common in honor of board games hopefully becoming more common. The English adjective common, meaning belonging to all, owned or used jointly, general, or of a public nature or character, originated in the 1300s. It can be traced back to the old French word spelled C-O-M-U-N, which meant common, general, free, open, or public. That word finds its roots in the Latin word communis, which meant in common, public, shared by all or many, general, not specific, familiar, or not pretentious. That word was a reconstruction of the Proto-Indo-European compound co-moin-i, which meant held in common. Co meant together, and moin was the suffixed form of the root ne, which meant to change, go, or move. So basically the compound adjective literally means shared by all. It's a little bit of a weird transition there, but hopefully your understanding of the word common will help in all of our endeavors to make board games more commonly available for everyone. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. If you enjoy city-building games, make sure to keep an eye out for Zoned Out, coming soon from Gray Fox. Build a city out of square cards and time the movement of your city planner just right to triumph over rival planners. Gray Fox Games. Quality games cleverly crafted. If you're enjoying the show, you can rate and review us on your podcast provider or consider becoming a patron. For as little as $1 a month, you can unlock access to unedited episodes and our private Slack channel, which lets you chat with us and other Blitzkiers directly. Head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz to become a patron today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Mara. Technical support provided by Toby Mount. Boardgame Blitz is part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time, I don't know why you won't play. I buy all these games on shelves they stay. Which one's right and which one's wrong? Give me a sign. Play a game. Come on, just play it. Just play one with me. Bye, everyone. Bye. Owned or jo used. Okay, I'm just going to start over entirely <laughs> so you don't have to, because I already, yep.
It's time for this episode's alliteration puzzle. Last episode, when I was with Paula, we asked you to retheme a game about painting beautiful landscapes for baby cats who act a little bit wacky. What game was that, Ambi? That was Kooky Kitten Kanagawa. Can- uh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that was Kooky Kitten Kanagawa. (laughs) Woo, that's a mouthful for sure. All right, this episode, we are asking you to retheme a game about preventing bombs from blowing up for emergency responders who don't like many types of food. Good luck, everyone.